Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, why are you hearing so much about cryptocurrencies? Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Ethereum. If you're like me, you'll just kind of nod along if someone starts talking to you about these things, pretending to know exactly what they are and how exactly they work. Well, today is my day and hopefully your day as well. We're going to learn how cryptocurrencies actually work and why we're hearing so much about them right now. From massive gains and losses by ordinary people, Saturday Night Live episodes featuring Elon Musk and the scourge on climate change that they are. To answer all my very, very many, many, many questions, back with us today is Ian Curran, the journal's business reporter and author of Daily Newsletter Morning Memo. And with him in our virtual studio is financial advisor Nick Sharalambus, who is the managing director of Alpha Wealth. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us. And I'm really looking forward to this episode. Nick, if you can bring us back to basics first and just explain how one would go about getting a cryptocurrency or buying into a cryptocurrency. Okay, so cryptocurrency is basically a, a form of a payment system that you can buy goods and services for. Now, really the starting point is that a lot of people have heard about it. There's a lot of people that are interested in maybe getting exposure to it. And this is from all of the, I suppose, recent press that uh, particularly that occurred uh, last year. The way that generally people get access to that is through a form of exchange. So there's a lot of, I suppose, sites that people can go onto and set up accounts and buy these coins. However, I would say a lot of people have to be mindful of the fact that there are a lot of scams out there as well. And it's important to understand which sites are, you know, bona fide, that people don't end up essentially thinking that they've bought some coins and to find out that that hasn't been the case. So there's some that I would suggest, I mean, Coinbase, for example, is a regulated site. It's the one that I do generally tend to suggest to people if they are looking to get into cryptocurrencies. So if I was going on Coinbase and I wanted to buy some, some of their coins, where does my actual euro go? So the way it works is that there's a payment system and the way they typically verify you is by you transferring the money to an account. And what it does is it goes into what's called a vault. It's essentially like a, a bank account for tens and purposes, whereby you then are in a position where you can buy whichever coin uh, at whatever proportions that you wish to. For example, Bitcoin is currently trading in about 32,200 euros. And for those people that, for example, want to invest a thousand euros in Bitcoin, they get a percentage of a coin and you are then the legal holder of that percentage of a coin. So essentially it's based on a kind of a, a ledger, for want of a better phrase, that is, is used to notify who actually um, you know, owns these coins and what, and what proportions. And then my euro goes to somebody else or is it like foreign exchange? It, it goes, I suppose, again, against, yes, the owner of, of that particular coin. So like all commodities, there's a, you know, a price that someone's willing to pay and a price that someone's willing to sell. And essentially cryptocurrency in its essence and really the way I want people to kind of maybe think about it, because, you know, there's a lot of terminology uh, that's being used. It's a form of an alternative to the banks. Really why cryptocurrencies initially kind of came to the fore is that it was a way of people being able to exchange goods and services without using mainstream banks. And, and that's how it 
initially developed. Now it's become a lot more than that. And there's a lot of coins that have specific purposes. You know, the likes of say Ethereum, which is the second biggest coin that is used for what they call smart contracts, which allows people to essentially put a kind of a stamp on maybe a product or service. Um, one of the, the, the best examples I can give you is uh, Spotify. They essentially invested in a coin um, that allows royalties to be paid to artists in a very efficient manner that is you know, less prone to fraud and that doesn't have to go through a third party. So it's a kind of a, a more efficient way of, of, of moving goods and services around without you know, the delay and the cost of using traditional banks. Ian, Nick mentioned the media hype there around cryptocurrencies. And obviously, we've had the example of Elon Musk in the last few months. How much money is actually to be made in cryptocurrency? One thing that you have to bear in mind is that, you know, the coins are very volatile. But, but just taking, for example, you know, Bitcoin, which is kind of the biggest of, uh, and the originator uh, of the cryptocurrency phenomenon, that hit an all-time high of, of $60,000 uh, in April of this year, right? So if you bought $100 of bit, worth of Bitcoin in April of, of 2011, you'd have uh, $6 million worth of Bitcoin, $6 million of Bitcoin uh, now, basically, or, or at the high. Now, it's come down substantially from then. But but even taking some of the smaller coins, and there are sort of thousands of coins out there, um, some of the smaller coins, like Dogecoin, for example, which was kind of started as a joke in 2013 or 2014, if you bought $100 worth of that in 2019, uh, you, when it hit a high earlier this year, you, you would have about like $23,000, uh, which is about an increase of about like 236%. So, so obviously, you know, these are the kind of swings that that you're looking at, and this this is kind of what attracts investors is these massively high yields that that you can potentially get. Now, obviously, they've all kind of dropped down again since then. So, uh, you know, so volatility is an issue. It does sound really appealing, Nick. And I have been plagued by you know Twitter promoted ads for Dogecoin, and I'm sure most of our listeners will have as well. But how risky is it as an investment? Because I've often heard it referred to as a pyramid scheme. Like, is it as dodgy as that? Or like, where on the risk assessment line is it for you? When I talk to clients about risk and reward, Sinead, I, I talk on a scale, um, it's a European scale that's kind of commonly used in, in my industry. Uh, and it rates from one to seven, one typically being cash, seven would be your kind of high risk kind of Far East Asian equities, and I'd put cryptocurrency as an eight. So just to put that in context, as Ian mentioned, you know, there's been some huge gains in cryptocurrencies over the last number of years, primarily from kind of October last year, when, you know, the, the Bitcoin particularly, but the coins kind of took off However, since the 23rd of April, which was the high point that Ian referred to, you know, the likes of uh, Bitcoin has fallen by about 38%. So if you had come into the market at that time, you know, you would be currently down. And the market looks to be on a slightly downward trajectory as of now. Now, again, you know, they are super volatile. And what I say to investors is, really, this is a space for people that should only put money into it that they can afford to lose. So it's kind of like a rich person's playground a little bit. Uh, in that, Ian, we talked a little bit about, you know, it can be the start of it was because it was a way of not using traditional banks. It, 
can you just keep if say if you were that person who invested a hundred dollars in uh 2011 and now you had six hundred thousand dollars would those people keep it in uh cryptocurrency would they exchange it back into traditional currency like what's what's the point of these digital currencies what's the the way that they use them yeah, well, I think Nick might be able to speak to, to, to what people generally do. I, I mean, I suppose I presume that there's kind of different classes of investor. I mean, I, I presume that there are some absolute fanatics who just love the idea of this digital currency, uh, the decentralized ledger, that kind of thing. And they're happy to kind of keep their money in the coin and, 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 and you know, and see how it goes. And then I would imagine that, you know, in the past, you know, given the kind of gains that Nick is talking about over the past few years or even the last few months, I would imagine there's a lot more investors now who are just trying to get in to get out again, if you know what I mean, uh, in order to kind of you know, transfer it back into into hard cash and and make some money that way. So again, I, th- I think it's probably you know the appeal is different for for, for different classes of investors and and the goal is is different as well. If that makes sense, is that what you're seeing as well, Nick? Absolutely. I mean, the vast majority of the people that I come across, they're only interested in the gains that they believe that they'll make. I am an investor myself. My experience has been patchy uh, and for someone with, you know, an economics degree and, you know, 25 years of investment experience, you know, it just shows that it, it isn't as easy as people might think. I bought Bitcoin back in 2017 after it reached the heady highs that it had, which is mostly down to kind of the, the retail, I, I suppose, people that firstly you know, started to find out a bit more about the cryptocurrencies. Of late, what has seems to have driven the price up is that institutional investors, the likes of Tesla, have, you know, been looking at Bitcoin, particularly as, you know, an exchange. PayPal, you know, brought it onto their platform late last year, which was also a reason. But as Ian says, most, if not the vast, vast majority of what is going on is these, what I call kind of stay at home, you know, novice investors that, you know, are kind of a new form where traditionally a lot of clients I'd come across would be looking for, you know, returns of between five and 10% a year from their investment. These investors are looking for something like a hundred percent plus, you know, it, it's, it's a new world order and it tends to be those younger kind of cohort that are more inclined to, to be involved because they're more tech savvy. They're familiar with, you know, a lot of these exchanges. They share the information as you've alluded to, Sinead, on, you know, Instagram and so on and so forth. And they get carried away with this kind of heady nature. And it's the fear of missing out, which is why there's been so much around this. Is that what makes the prices volatile? We've Like uh, Ian mentioned there that Bitcoin reached a, a peak uh, in April, like it did in previous years, like what what's the main driver of those things? Yeah, it is. I mean, look at like all, I suppose, products. It's based on demand and supply. There is a limited supply, for example, of Bitcoin. You know, there'll only ever be twenty one million coins mined at the moment. It's at eighteen point five million, but there's certain, I suppose, restrictions in that they kind of halve the amount that they can mine every four years just to kind of put a little bit of a I suppose a a, a mentality to this but really a lot of the performance I suppose that the value of Bitcoin particularly and I talk about Bitcoin and more in the generic um, is that it's based on mostly speculation it's people's 
you know, view of what that will happen. And then that in turn leads to more and more people buying into the coin, which is obviously driving the price up. And it's mostly fueled by, I suppose, the press, really. You know, you tend to hear more about cryptocurrencies when their value is going up and not so much when the value is falling. You know, and a lot of that is down to, I suppose, people that are looking to, you know, I suppose, benefit from this in terms of getting the, the price driven um, upward. If we were in a sitting in a pub now, Nick, I'd have just been nodding away thinking, yeah, I definitely knew there was only 21 million Bitcoin. So let's go back to that. Can you explain how all of that works? And I think you're probably going to bring me through blockchain and mining, but maybe just bring our listeners through how all of that works, how there is only 21 million Bitcoin and how that is a limit. So essentially when Bitcoin was I suppose, launched, if you like, and there's a little bit of, um, I suppose, ambiguity about when it was launched. But as Ian said, Bitcoin is the daddy of cryptocurrencies, you know, and, and there have been variations of it, you know, and there's different types of Bitcoin itself, like Bitcoin Cash and so on. Um, really, the way that it was anticipated to be used as a form of exchange, and it has to some extent been somewhat successful. I mean, if you think about it, it's not just, you know, a, a mechanism for people to try and make money. You know, there is practical uses, as, as I've um, kind of alluded to earlier. But when Bitcoin was devised, it was um, stated very clearly in, I suppose, you know, the memorandum that there was only ever going to be 21 coins, uh, million, sorry, coins mined, and they're being produced. And essentially the miners, and look, if you think about mining, and I know it sounds like a strange thing to talk about when you're talking about a, a form of currency, but these are people sitting at a PC, you know, that are essentially kind of, you know, encrypting a, a, a coin and, and it's these what, what we call ledgers. Now, without getting into the kind of the, the real phraseology of this, and I always try and make this in a simplified fashion, not just for listeners, but for myself as well. They, they, they refer to something called a ledger. And if you think about it, it's like a spreadsheet, you know, you populate information on that. The main difference between a spreadsheet and a ledger is a ledger is available to everyone. And that was really what Bitcoin was about. It was giving everyone the same level of control over, you know, the, the, the coins and their history. And there, there was, um, you know, the ability for people to see specifically the way these things operated. And then what blockchain is that it's just these ledgers, these spreadsheets, if you like, with information that are pieced together. In a, in a logical fashion so that they can be, you know, looked at and you can go back and look at the history of exactly what happened to a coin from the day that it was incepted. And these miners, these people sitting in these PCs, they're rewarded by creating a new coin. And there's a lot of work and effort that goes in. And it's a very, very, I suppose, efficient system that's used. Now, where there's been some issues has been through, obviously, you know, the use of I, I suppose these coins for illegal activities. Um, there's also been, you know, situations where wallets, um, which is what people use to hold these coins, um, where they've been accessed and people have lost a lot of money through that. And as we said, you know, things like scams. I, I got a lot of um, emails yesterday from various different sources, you know, and I, I tend to be an easy target as a financial advisor. And I saw a lot on online, Leo Varadkar seemingly is promoting uh, Bitcoin Cash. 
and it looks very authentic and it's a complete scam you know and, and, and unfortunately people get you know I suppose caught up in that you know thinking that these things are legitimate so I would really warn listeners to be very very careful and vigilant about you know these um, I suppose opportunities because even yesterday um, I'm doing some works to my house and two of the people that were working there, one of them's an electrician and, and the other was a plumber, they they asked me about Bitcoin. They didn't ask me about anything else but Bitcoin, you know, and it just goes to show, I suppose, the fact is that it's very much in, in the public domain at the moment. Yeah, actually, with those scams, there is one that goes around that's from the journals.ie that some of our readers have uh, made us aware of. And obviously, that is a scam. We do not promote people uh, investing in Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency. So it's another one to be aware of. Uh, Ian, I'm just very conscious of myself being one of these people. So for those down the back, can you just explain exactly what mining cryptocurrency is? Uh, mining cryptocurrency is basically just the the process of verifying the transactions and, and, and logging them on the blockchain. Um, rather than one sort of centralized ledger like a bank might have, the blockchain is a decentralized ledger, which means that it requires, you know, thousands of computers all over the world to take part in this verification process. Um, obviously, that's very energy intensive. Uh, it requires the computers to run a very complex uh, maths equations uh, to keep this verification process uh, on track and, and basically to just to log the transactions within the blockchain where they're kind of stored forever. But it is very energy intensive. It requires very uh, powerful kind of computers and, and lots of them to do that. Uh, in return for doing that and setting up your, your rig, as they call it, um, you, you can be just, for example, with Bitcoin, you can be rewarded in the form of Bitcoin. Also, I mean, it's no guarantee that you actually do get rewarded with Bitcoin. You know, whoever gets that, it's kind of randomly generated. But but so the incentive is there to kind of keep doing it until until you get one kind of thing. That, that That's the idea of it. If this was all about control in the first place, was the point that the value would stay a little bit more the same? But but, but obviously what we've seen is huge falls and, and rises in the price. I don't know whether you know the the price was something that was really anticipated from the perspective that my reading into this was you know these these coins you know and cryptocurrencies as a rule it was really just to try and give um, I suppose more access to individuals in a cheaper more efficient manner I think that the volatility and the speculative aspect of, of coins in general is really more of a byproduct. I mean, obviously, the, the originators of these coins typically would do this for financial gain. There's no doubt about that. But with regards to the way that these coins are being dealt with, I think that was that was kind of something that wasn't typically anticipated. What, why is that, Nick? What, what are the main drivers of, of why it falls and, and, and rises? A lot of it is down to speculation. Um, as I say, a lot of it would have been based on massive increases in demand. Back in 2017, when Bitcoin originally went up hugely, was down to the retail investors, which I referred to as these kind of you know novice investors that were just buying you know small amounts in their millions and millions. And then more recently, the institutional investors have started to look at you know cryptocurrencies. 
as a, a bona fide, you know, payment method. You know, I read earlier that Goldman Sachs, they've quadrupled their investment team that concentrate solely on cryptocurrencies themselves. So it's, it's become more of a, I suppose, part of the way of life now. You know, it was anticipated that Bitcoin would be used for payments for people, for example, that would pay for goods and services, you know, in Ireland, for example, so you could pay for a, a pint of Guinness using Bitcoin. And there are very few, albeit, but there are some pubs in Ireland that you could do that with. Um, but it hasn't really taken off in that manner. You know, I think the banks will still have their place in terms of, you know, being used for payment systems. But if you think about the third world where people don't have access, that would be a, an opportunity, particularly during the pandemic when, you know, we were suffering from lockdowns. That was also another reason why um, the price of the coins drove up because people were being restricted in their movements. They were looking at, you know, being able to make payment systems. So it kind of led into to that as well. But there is obviously a bit of fear around this as well. And in We've heard that China uh, has announced a crackdown on cryptocurrency. What have they said about it and why? Yeah, I think China uh, has been probably the most proactive uh, country in sort of dealing with these risks. And and, and also uh, it, it, it is extraordinarily risk, risk averse generally, uh, obviously. And, and I think it's expressed fear. The Chinese government has expressed fear about uh, the level of risk that could be transferred from from cryptocurrency to like the regular economy or the social sphere, I think is the phrase they used. So so they're very wary of it. Uh, and basically as well, they quite bluntly said last week that, you know, we don't see this as a real currency. You know, uh, they rather see it as kind of an asset class uh, rather than. Uh, so, so basically they warned against accepting uh, cryptocurrency as payment for certain transactions. Um, I think it's part of a broader crackdown on, on, on Bitcoin that's kind of been going on for a long time in China. Um, and also, I mean, like the energy usage thing is definitely a factor. There, there is a Chinese state, I can't remember which one, which has kind of asked for people to like phone in tips if they hear of crypto mines being set up and, and that kind of thing. So, so, so all of those concerns are going into it. But, but, but I would say that regulators around the world are kind of also uh, getting a bit wary of it. And, and one of the main reasons that central banks are concerned about it is this lack of transparency, because it means they can't track transactions and things like that. And one of the ways they're trying to get around that are kind of muscle in on cryptocurrency. Um, and Ch China, again, has been very proactive on this. Uh, is to create their own sort of digital versions of their own currency. Um, so the digital yuan is is very much in, you know, uh, coming over the hill. I mean, I think they've actually sort of rolled out pilot projects on that. But the ECB has also uh, just finished a, a public consultation on the digital euro and, and the Fed in the US is also is also looking at that as well. So so that that, that could be one way that regulators kind of end up dealing with this. And and, and I think people expect that to erode some of the uh, the, the appeal of, of of cryptocurrency as a currency and um, perhaps not as an asset class, but but certainly as a currency. And um, because, you know, a digital euro, for example, would function exactly like the euro. Euro and it would be pegged to the euro, but it would allow sort of instant transactions, which which Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies don't allow for. It's actually quite time consuming to pay, uh, you know, to, to obtain it, first of all, but then, you know, to, to pay with it and that sort of thing. So it's kind of like if the US and the EU do it, it's like mom and dad have it. It's gone way too mainstream. It's not cool anymore. But 
But one of the things you've both mentioned now, which is a massive negative uh, that we hear a lot about, is the electricity uses and the drain on our, our resources that it is. How big is that problem? And is it all cryptocurrencies or is it just Bitcoin or is it is it not unique to any of all of these things? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Bitcoin is is as as Nick said, is obviously the, the you know the most important cryptocurrency, and, and and Bitcoin in particular has an issue with this. I mean, I, I think the, the the figures I saw last year mean that the energy that's spent on Bitcoin mining on an annualized basis is just ahead of what Pakistan requires to to, to run for a year, kind of thing. So 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 it's a huge amount of energy, and that's obviously because of this you know decentralized ledger, you know, a network of computers around the world, kind of whirring into overdrive all the time. Time and it requires that that sort of like constant input of energy, and and so it is it, it is an issue, and, and it is a, a sort of a, an issue with this fundamental thing with Bitcoin, which is what Nick touched on there about you know Bitcoin miners are rewarded for this process by being given Bitcoin, so it's so it's actually an incentive to to set up these large. Uh, systems or rigs, as they're called, you know, to, to, to constantly mine uh, Bitcoin. That system is called proof of work. I don't want to get too much into the terminology. Uh, what, what we are hearing, for example, is, um, you know, Ethereum, which is an alternative to Bitcoin uh, arrival. You know, th- they're trying to move from this system of proof of work to a, to a different system called proof of stake, which they say would cut out a lot of this massive energy usage rather than sort of being required to put in the work and the capital cost of, you know, building this rig, you would just sort of, as far as I understand it, Nick might be able to shine some light on this, but you more or less be able to pay in and this would cut out some of that massive, uh, uh, you know, uh, energy usage. So so I'm a bit sceptical about that. Obviously, Ethereum, you know, believers would have an interest in saying that this is going to solve this issue that regulators and politicians have an issue with. But but I think that that's... you know, a development that's kind of uh, that crypto believers are kind of pointing to and saying that, look, it is solvable. There's also a push in in, in the US, uh, which Elon Musk kind of alluded to there last week um, to kind of make uh, the energy to standardize energy reporting uh, around Bitcoin, because one of the issues is we actually don't know how much uh you know energy it uses in one particular jurisdiction or whatever so the idea is that you would standardize that and and because of that you you'd have a better idea of you know how you might be able to code emissions that kind of thing or whatever so again i'm slightly skeptical of that i mean this sounds a lot like what the oil industry says about uh you know trying to cut emissions targets in the future you know hey look at least we're you know keeping track of it now you know don't bother us too much kind of thing and also i think it's worth bearing in mind as well that you know, the internet itself takes up a lot of, you know, uses a lot of energy. And we, we don't necessarily talk about that. I mean, we don't necessarily talk about Google's energy usage or Facebook's or whatever. And, and I think like crypto, you know, uh, fans or, or investors might sort of say, well, look, you know, I mean, the whole thing is bad for the environment. Uh, why are you singling out crypto? But but it is, it, it is, it has to be said, very energy intensive. And, and obviously this is becoming a, a, a mainstream concern. Uh, We've mentioned Elon Musk a few times there. So let's kind of look at what his role has been in cryptocurrencies and particularly in the rise and fall of some of them in recent uh, weeks, months even. 
yeah, I think Nick touched on it there when he said that, you know, I think he said that Tesla, Spotify were another company that was an early adopter of, of, of cryptocurrency as a, a method of transaction. But Elon Musk was, was one of these, re, you know, early adopters in, in a sense, because t- Tesla, uh, uh, you know, started to allow uh, Bitcoin be used to buy Tesla cars and that sort of thing. And Musk himself has tweeted a lot about, you know, Dogecoin Do and, and, and other coins and, and sort of like, uh, pumped them up a bit, uh, you know, through his Twitter account. And then lo and behold, a few weeks ago, he appeared on SNL and there was a joke in, in one of the sketches where he was asked if Dogecoin, again, which is one of the smaller coins, uh, is a hustle. And he said, yeah, it's a hustle. And overnight, Dogecoin collapsed, more or less. And so that was the start of it, you know. And then a couple of weeks later, I think it was last week, uh, Tesla announced that it would no longer accept Bitcoin uh, you know, as a method of transaction uh, for, for Tesla cars. Now, this was a huge revelation because a lot of people have put a lot of stock into the fact that this massive, bit, you know, multi-billion dollar company had, you know, been such an early adopter of the, of the technology or whatever. And so all of a sudden it's saying, well, look, you know, there are environmental concerns and, and, and we're worried about this. So again, the, the price of Bitcoin collapsed. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of where we are now. Again, he's now trying to dig Tesla out of the hole. He sort of said, as I hinted at earlier, that, you know, well, there are some concerned Bitcoin adopters who are, you know, trying to figure out ways to make it carbon neutral and that sort of thing. Um, so, so yeah, and I think just to be clear, I mean, much to the annoyance of people who are very into Bitcoin or, or people who really believe in the in the technology, you know, he, he seems to have this outsized influence on on its price, and and I think that's what we've seen. He's been, a, I think, a key driver of some of that volatility we've seen we've seen over the last few weeks. You mentioned earlier about some of the European responses that there might be, you know, a, a Europe a digital euro. Has there been talk though of regulation of cryptocurrencies, things like Dogecoin and Bitcoin? in Ireland or at EU level? Yeah, I think th- this week actually is, is interesting. I think it's National Blockchain Week in, in Ireland and, and we heard Pascal Donoghue address it, uh, you know, the, the opening of the uh, of it there during the week. And, and he said that, you know, he, he's very conscious that investing in cryptocurrency continues to involve risks and there must be, quote, adequate regulation to protect consumers. And he said that his department is working with the EU Commission and the presidency to bring forth a an agreement on a draft proposal for regulation uh, for the, the crypto asset market. So, yeah, I, I think that that sort of drumbeat is getting a bit louder in Europe. And I think another thing that people are concerned about is the extent to which the real economy or which other markets might be exposed to this volatility. Um, and, and that's kind of becoming a concern as well. So I think you are starting to see that that ramp up a bit in, in Europe and, and in Ireland as well. What would the impact of regulation be, Nick, on those who use cryptocurrencies? I suppose in some respects, Sinead, it would take a lot of the advantages of cryptocurrencies away. I mean, essentially, the whole mentality behind cryptocurrencies was that they were unregulated, you know, they weren't centralised. And that was... A lot of people's, uh, I suppose, beauty in, in, you know, investing in cryptocurrencies, really, it would have, without doubt, a, a, a massive kind of pullback on the price of these cryptocurrencies, because it, it would force a lot of people out of the market, as far as I, I would see. Um, whether you could argue it's a good or bad thing, but it just moves it more into this centralized system, uh, which is more in keeping with the, I suppose, the, the banking system that we're all familiar with 
I, I totally agree with Ian's points and I do think that in time there may well be certain actions by certain governments but I think intrinsically cryptocurrencies will really stay in that un unregulated forum. You know, it's a very, very difficult thing to regulate because there's no real transparency and that is inherently the issue with it. And that's why it's, it's caused these um, central banks so much of an issue. But I do believe that, you know, this won't continue in, in, the, in the format of, uh, as it is because it's just, it's causing a lot of people to suffer financial loss. And on that basis, I do believe that there will be more regulation around this. Yeah, so people might be listening and might think, oh, I, I might actually invest in some cryptocurrency, but you mentioned there a lot of people do lose. What is your advice to people around their thinking about doing this? What I would say to them is that they should ensure that they have, you know, I suppose, appropriate resources. And, and I know we, we spoke earlier about, you know, only invest the amount that you can afford to lose. And a lot of people, you know, believe that they will. I mean, my experience has been that I overtraded cryptocurrencies. So I found it very difficult to sit and, and, and watch these losses occur without making a, a change. So typically what I did was I, I sold a holding, say in Bitcoin, and I bought another coin. And that in itself, you know, I, I was just jumping from kind of the frying pan into the fire. So my advice really to people is, you know, make sure that you've looked after yourself in terms of, you know, do you have a, a rainy day emergency fund? Do you have pension provisions made? You know, and I, I say to individuals as well, like we haven't spoken about the tax treatment of cryptocurrencies and the gains that people make. A lot of people, you know, who have made gains may or may not be aware, but there are capital gains tax implications for the gains that they make. Typically, the, the tax rate would be 33% on the gain. And most people, respectfully, may not be aware that they, they wouldn't have necessarily declared that. So, and that's another issue for, I suppose, governments that there's a lot of this activity going on where people are not, you know, paying uh, the relevant tax on. Now, again, that's, you know, maybe not to, to kind of focus too much on, but it, it is something that people need to be aware of. So my advice is that, you know, if if I was presented by a client who had a sum of money, um, however small, you know, a thousand euros, whatever the figure is that people feel comfortable that they can risk, that they need to be mindful. You know, there are opportunity other opportunities out there. You know, we are in this very low interest rate environment, which is probably another part of the reason why people are starting to look at an alternative to make money um, elsewhere. But like pension funds, for example, um, like one of the insurance companies in Ireland offers a form of cryptocurrency exposure in a pension. Now, it's not quite the same thing as owning a coin. It, it's an exchange, like it's basically a, a way of you mirroring the performance of cryptocurrencies. Um, and that might be a, a model for people where they can invest in this space through a pension scheme, get the tax relief, depending on whether they're a high rate or low rate taxpayer and benefit from the gains without having to suffer tax on that. So really, I suppose what I would say to individuals is make sure that you get appropriate advice. And if you are going to invest in these coins, make sure it's, it's a moderate amount that you can afford to lose because there are, as we've said earlier, 
massive volatilities, not on just a yearly basis, but even on a daily basis. I love that idea of like being the sensible Bitcoin person that you're like, this is this is actually I'm just doing it for my pension. Um, so that's kind of the better use of the money while still having a bit of the crack with with the Bitcoin, I guess, Nick. Yeah, absolutely, Sinead. And, and look, as I say, as Ian mentioned earlier, it's really an asset class, as I would see it as a financial advisor. And like any investment, it's about diversification. You know, uh, there is one client that I deal with. All of his holdings are in Ethereum. And I've argued with him constantly about the overexposure. And it wouldn't matter whether it was Ethereum, Bitcoin, or anything else. You know, same with property. What I would suggest that people do is, is just ensure that they're not overexposed to any particular asset class and that it's within their risk tolerance. You know, there is a dichotomy that I come across where. I have some clients who won't invest money, but they hold Bitcoin. You know, they don't see it as an investment. They see it as, you know, an opportunity to make a 3000% gain because of stories that they shared, you know, and it tends to be that type of kind of, I suppose, investor. Um, and I appreciate that some people might say, well, look, what harm is there? You know, if I did invest a thousand euros, you know, but the key thing I say to them is, well, okay, but you know, if you invested it in an appropriate investment over time, you may well get a much more favorable gain that would stand to you. you know? And for those that say, well, I can afford to take the loss, it's very, very difficult to swallow you know, a, a 40, 50% loss for any amount of money, um, in my view. Even if you can't afford it. So what kind of things, if people come to you uh, for investment advice and they do say, you know, I have this money, it, it doesn't matter if I lose it. If cryptocurrencies aren't what you're going to put it into, what would you advise them to put it into? Um, well, as I said earlier, Sinead, I, I, I have been saying to clients throughout the pandemic, you know, maybe look at, you know, putting some money into your pension fund purely because there's a tax, you know, advantage immediately either at 20% if you're a standard rate payer or 40% as a high rate payer, and then you get benefit from the growth tax free. And a lot of people in Ireland are underfunded by pensions. There are other options, for example, pay down your mortgage. You know, a lot of us are carrying mortgages at the moment whilst rates have fallen in recent times. Anyone that has a mortgage interest rate of even two and a half to 3%, which is kind of the typical average out there, you need to make about 5% per year to get the same result because you suffer tax obviously on any gains from investments including cryptocurrencies and to get a, a five percent risk-free return which is what paying down your mortgage will equivalent to i believe that that's not a bad opportunity for people you know so as i say i'm not anti-cryptocurrencies they have their space i just worry that people who have not invested in their pension or invested in their children's education funds and now investing in an asset class that they know very little about. And the biggest issue that I have personally is that if I try and explain the movement of a cryptocurrency, I, I struggle. I know we've spoken about Elon Musk. I know we've spoken about, you know, China introducing regulation. But is that really the full story? You know, we live in a really, really, I suppose, um, multi-dynamic kind of you know changeable world and we've all experienced a, a very unusual 16 months i don't know can we actually pinpoint 
to the exact degree why a coin has gone up or down on any given day, because it may have been more than one factor. And as a financial advisor, I struggle with that. You know, I'd like to be able to look people in the eye and say, well, this investment has gone up or has gone down because of this. And the problem with cryptocurrencies is, I think that that is a, is, a, is a more difficult thing for people to understand. Yeah, and because of that volatility, Ian, if all this did collapse, um, the prices did drop to zero across the board, would we actually see that shock in what we call the traditional economy? I think it's a really interesting question, and, and it's one that regulators actually seem to be kind of divided on at the moment. Um, I think, like outwardly, the ECB and the Fed have kind of said that you know traditional markets and, and financial stability, let's say in general, uh, isn't affected too much by the volatility of of these uh, you know cryptocurrencies because you know a lot, most banks aren't particularly exposed to them, so they would say that the, the risks to financial stability probably aren't aren't massive. But but that said, I, I think what regu regulators are slightly worried about at the moment in general is the high levels of debt um, that are building up uh, and leverage within markets. In other words, people kind of borrowing to fund bets on the stock market, borrowing to fund bets on cryptocurrencies and things like that. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think this might be a concern for them. And I think that's a general concern just with the way markets have gone over the past 12 months. We've seen these huge booms and, you know, a lot of that is fueled by debt and borrowing by kind of retail investors and not necessarily institutional investors, but kind of, you know, retail investors and people who might come to Nick with, you know, for advice or whatever. And so, so yeah, look, I think there is some concern there. I think another thing that Nick touched on as well is is the potential for, for, for tax avoidance. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's something that the Fed has kind of said in recent times that that's one thing that they're concerned about as well. So, so those are some of the ways that I think it, you know, it could affect the real economy. Um, but but uh, overall, I think the feeling is that you know, banks, traditional banks, and financial institutions aren't overly exposed to uh, to cryptocurrencies uh, for the moment, anyway. So we'll end on that slightly positive note. Uh, thanks so much, Nick and Ian, for explaining all of that. And my brain feels like it's about to explode, but I do understand everything about that a lot more than I did uh, at the start of this episode. So thanks again for coming on to us and explaining all of that. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Nick and Ian for joining us. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Aoife Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you'd like to support The Explainer and the work we do here, there's a few things you can do. Head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber. But you can also just leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a really great way to make sure other people discover the podcast, listen and love it as well. Thank you and catch you next time.